The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. The only thing that's probably unusual about my process is that I write my first drafts with pen and paper. I, you know, I can type really fast, but there's something about seeing words on a screen that makes me want to stop and edit the heck out of it. And mm. that, that stops my forward progress. So first drafts, um, pen on online typing paper and second drafts, I just type, I type them in myself. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed. And this week, the international and New York Times bestselling author Tess Gerritsen dropped by to chat with me about the role of luck in finding success as a writer, where she draws inspiration for her thrillers, her love-hate relationship with writing for the screen, and her unique creative process. The award-winning author graduated from med school at UC San Francisco and began her writing career in earnest while on maternity leave from her work as a physician. She published her first romantic thriller in 1987 and never looked back. Her books have since topped the charts in both the U.S. and abroad and sold more than 30 million copies in 40 countries. Tess has now written 28 novels, including the acclaimed Rizzolian Isle series, which inspired the TNT TV series of the same name, as well as both romantic suspense and medical and crime thrillers. Though she's been dubbed the medical suspense queen, her latest novel, The Shape of Night, is a departure in genre that Tess describes as an erotic psychological thriller with both supernatural and gothic elements. Publishers Weekly said of the book, this supernatural thriller from bestseller Gerritsen ranks with the best of her crime fiction 
a magnetic haunted house story that will keep readers riveted from the first page. And New York Times bestselling author Lisa Gardner wrote, Garrison is at her atmospheric best in this spine-tingling tale of a lone woman, an old house, and all the secrets everyone tries to hide. In this file, Tess and I discussed her winding journey to bestseller and a 10-book overnight success, why she prefers to pen novels over writing for Hollywood, navigating the mysteries and fairy dust of the publishing industry, tricks to master storytelling in any genre, the secret to writing drafts that will never get lost in the cloud, and her creativity hacks for beating writer's block. And please do me a huge favor. If you want to support the show, you can just pop over to survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven question survey. It is like the easiest multiple choice ever. So we can learn a little bit more about you, our audience. That's survey.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com slash writerfiles. Survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles. It's very simple. It does help a lot. That link is also in the show notes, and I thank you ahead of time. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs Head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And we are back on The Writer Files once again. Thanks for joining us. I have an esteemed guest today. Tess Gerritsen is here to wrap with us a little bit. Thanks for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to do this. Well, thanks for the invitation. Of course. Always uh, a pleasure to get to pick the brains of, of renowned authors. And um, yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey to uh, where you are now and, and all of the successes that you've had. Kind of uh, roll back um, the clock a little bit and just talk about you know, how you became this best-selling author and um, the most recent project. And and yeah, so how did you get here? Um, I understand you started out in medicine. And of course, you know, you're known as the medical suspense queen. But yeah, how did you uh, get to be where you are today? I have to say a lot of luck is involved. And, you know, people say, how do you become a best-selling author? And I, I do think there's a certain amount of fairy dust involved. Um, but I started off wanting to be a writer when I was a child. I got detoured into medicine because my dad told me that writing books was no way to make a living. Uh, and I, I believed him. So um, it wasn't until after I had graduated from medical school and was working as a doctor that I, uh, I tried to write my first novel. It was during maternity leave. Yeah. And I wrote, I wrote a romantic suspense novel. Um, it didn't sell. But the third time around, I was able to sell that book. Um, so that was just a you know paperback romance. They don't make a lot of money, but they they do get you into the business. They do get you um, to learn what it's like to be you know constantly work, trying to meet deadlines and just just get you familiar with the business. So it was. Um, I wrote ten romantic suspense novels. Um, got the idea for a medical thriller. Uh, got a new agent. Um, and suddenly I was on the bestseller list. 
Huh. So it's uh, I was I was a ten you know a ten book overnight success I guess you can say yeah yeah it's incredible to see kind of uh, how how that all unfolded and then of course uh, you wrote the lauded Rizzoli and Isles series which was then of course turned into a uh, a TV series over on TNT um, so that must have been pretty cool to see that progression from you know and but I do understand that you'd written. Uh, for the screen kind of early on in your career. Is that right? I had written a TV movie of the week, uh, which was uh, aired on, in 1996 uh, called Adrift with Kate Jackson. Yeah. Um, so I had, you know, I had some experience with that, but I realized that I did not like that experience, hmm. mainly because working with film companies is a very collaborative process. Uh, you're not the boss. You have to find everybody else to agree with you. And it was this constant requirement to go back and forth and fix things that people thought were broken that uh, really turned me off. I like writing novels because I'm in charge. I'm the boss and uh, it all gets back to me. So that's why I really decided to focus on novels rather than try and pursue Hollywood any further. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, um, I was uh, thrilled to see that uh, Kate Jackson starred in that Adrift adaptation and she was one of the original Charlie's Angels, right? Right, she was. I was <laughs> you know, when she signed up, I thought, okay, that's cool. One of my idols got on is on my show. Right. <laughs> That must have been a throw. You know, I should also mention that Rizzoli and Dials, again, um, having that turn into a TV show was just plain old luck. Uh, the producer had read my books, uh, liked the idea of a female uh, duo on television, and it went from there. So a lot of things have to fall into place that are completely out of my control. I just have to say that I'm, I feel very fortunate that I have had the success I, I have had because it's not all on me. It's really other people's having faith in the stories and, and, and seeing the spark there that um, makes them want to go to, to the film. Yeah. Well, uh, as an international and New York Times bestselling author today, and you know, you've written what, 28 novels now, right? Since, since yep. that first one, which is pretty yep. amazing to see. Um, of course, I'll link to your homepage there, TessGarretson.com. We'll drop that in the show notes. And we can find all those books there and, and um, lots of other great uh, resources. And uh, yeah, so let's um, talk a little bit about this most recent project, because I guess this is a little bit of a departure for you. It's a wild departure for me. <laughs> yeah. The Shape of Night. Uh, I'll just yeah. mention the name of the novel is The Shape of Night, and it is available now. I guess I could call it an erotic psychological thriller. It's, you know, I've been, I've done 12 Rizzoli and Isles books, and I just wanted to do something different. I'm at the stage in my career or in life where I figure if I don't write the books that are calling to me, I'll never get the chance if I don't do it right now. So uh, I had actually, this was actually a, an old screenplay that I wrote uh, decades ago, over 30 years ago. Uh, and that screenplay, which I called Demon in Her Bed, um, was hmm. about a woman who um, goes to a, rents a haunted house, falls in love with a ghost, um, and he turns out to be more of a, you know, a horrible evil force in this house than anything. And it was, a, it, again, it was a very, very erotic story because this ghost is the perfect lover. Uh, then I set that that uh, screenplay aside, and now it's three decades later, and I happened to pull it out of my closet, and I thought, wow, I, I still like this story, and I'm going to turn it into a novel. So that was what launched um, The Shape of Night. I, I made it into more of a murder mystery, but it involves 
a sexy ghost. And it's about a, a woman who um, rents a house in Maine, uh, falls in love with the resident ghost. Um, he makes the perfect lover until she realizes that every woman who's ever lived in the house has died there. Now she wonders if the ghost is at fault or if there is a flesh and blood killer who is now coming after her. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly compelling and it does kind of suck you in. I'm enjoying it very much. And I think you'll agree that it's probably pretty perfect for this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's, there are a lot of things. I mean, I, I don't personally believe in ghosts, but I, I love to entertain the possibilities. Um, and I've been looking for ghosts all my life. Uh, my mom believed in ghosts because she, she grew up in China and she used to saw, see ghosts when she was there. So I've been, I've been waiting and looking, um, but I think my feet are too firmly on the ground. The next best thing is to imagine what they would be like if they they were real, um, and maybe they would be the perfect lover. They, you know, when you think about it, a ghost um, who knows what you want, knows how to satisfy you, uh, can't give you any diseases, doesn't require you to make them breakfast the next morning. I mean, this for a woman, this is like fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers: truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, um, it has been called a riveting gothic thriller that explores the limits of love, guilt, and punishment. But uh, it's gotten some in very nice reviews and uh, an incredible set of blurbs there. Congrats uh, so far on uh, everything with that one. So I understand you are on tour in... And coming up, you're going to be on tour overseas, right? Yeah, uh, next week I leave for um, the UK and the Netherlands, and uh, then I go to the Istanbul Book Fair. Wow, that's so cool. So you have a, a pretty um, wide international fan base. 
Yeah, I, it again. I'm I'm don't know how it happened, but it did, and I I don't know why I'm so popular in Turkey, for instance, but I am. And I also find that it's uh, it's interesting how some books appeal to other countries uh, that don't necessarily sell well here. Um, yeah. And yeah, I you know it's it's um, it's also a, it's always a puzzle to me. Is it cultural? Is it just better a better job of publishing? Is it different book covers? Uh, but a book that can sell really really well, say in Holland, may not sell a single copy here. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, yeah, somewhat of a uh, mystery in, in and of itself. Um, yeah, <laughs> publishing is a mystery, and I don't think anybody really understands why a bestseller becomes a bestseller. Yeah. Well, um, you have certainly earned it, and uh, with a proven track record, that's uh, really really cool to see. So uh, now that you know you're out on tour, um, you've got this one behind you. Do you have a new a newer project? Are you going to stick with the this genre, or are you going to go back to something a little bit more familiar for your next one? Well, I've got a lot of fun things um, right now on my front burner. Number one is um, I'm making um, a documentary with my son. We're we're now in the uh, post production editing phase of it. The movie is called Pig. And it's about the relationship between humans and pigs over the centuries. It's, a, it's kind of this quirky, funny story about why, do, why is it that Jews and Muslims don't eat pork? That's how the story got started. And the more we filmed, the more we, people we interviewed, we went around the world, we went to Egypt. Um, nobody could give us uh, a real answer. So that's, it's a little bit of a mystery that we're trying to track down. And then I'm also, uh, I've also got another horror film uh, planned that will probably be, be shooting around 2021. Interesting, interesting. So you just can't really stay away from the, the uh, filmmaking piece of it. See, but now I'm in control. I mean, my son <laughs> and I are like co-directors and, that, and we're having a great time and we don't have to ask for anybody else's opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean... As you say, you know, working in, in film and television um, is a very collaborative process. And, and working as a novelist, uh, you get to be the director and, and the uh, cast and everything. Everything. And being in control. But you and your son have worked together in the past and you and you wrote another script with him. Is that correct? Yeah, we made a really low budget horror film called Island Zero. Um, it came out um, last year. And... Um, you know, it's available on iTunes and Amazon, and, and uh, it's we just signed um, a deal with an international distributor. Uh, we learned a lot on our on our first horror film. Um, we learned to you know how to correct our mistakes, and I think the next film will go much more smoothly. That's cool. That's very <laughs> cool. So you kind of have a toe in all, every uh, genre, then. <laughs> you know, it's storytelling is storytelling. Um, whether it's on the page or it's on, you know, on the, the screen, you still have the same principles you have to adhere to. It's characters who are fascinating. It's a journey uh, of these characters. And um, it's an emotion, you know, what you're doing is you're trying to find an emotional crisis. Uh, that, that is the basis of, of great storytelling, intense storytelling. Yeah, that's great. Well put. Well, as you uh, kind of look at your slate ahead, what uh, what do you think is your next big, you know, uh, writing adventure? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a book um, I'm doing the research for right now. It has to do with this funny town I live in. I live in a little town in Maine. It's only about 5,000 people. And for some reason, it has a bizarre number of retired CIA agents living here. <laughs> <laughs> so I I thought, well, you know, that that's a, that's a fascinating place to start a story. 
a small town, a lot of lot of retired spies. Uh, what happens if one of those spies is really forced to go back to work and she doesn't want to? Um, so that's that's uh, that's where I'm launching off, and um, I guess you know, nobody really wants to talk about their job, the ones that live here, but but we know who they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you're in the midst of uh, working on an, a bigger piece of fiction, are you somebody who uh, commits to sitting down every day? Do you like to block out chunks of time, or do you do uh, use any kind of a word count or tools like that to kind of keep you on track? When I'm I'm in the process of doing first draft, I I feel good if I've done a thousand words that day. First, you know, first draft words. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's probably unusual about my process is that I write my first drafts with pen and paper. I you know I can type really fast, but there's something about seeing words on a screen that makes me want to stop and edit the heck out of it, and mm-hmm. that that stops my forward progress. So first drafts, um, pen on online typing paper and second drafts, I just type, I type them in myself. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, that must be, um, well, cause I know it, it definitely exercises your brain in a way that puts a little bit more importance on the, on the work. It's a different, it's a different exercise. And I think it goes back to the fact that when we're children, we start off using pencil and paper. And I feel it's almost like a more direct line between your gray matter and what's on the page. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a distance, um, when you're kind of staring at the, at the blank screen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, are you somebody who has a dedicated office? Do you kind of float around and you live in a smaller town, but do you have like a favorite coffee shop or do you feel like maybe that's some, somewhere that's a little bit more distracting because it, Maybe people might recognize yeah. you. <laughs> oh, oh, I, you know, I would hate to write in public. I just, I, I hate to have anybody seeing what I'm doing because I, you know, we, we do like embarrassing things and we're sitting alone at our desk sometimes and I'm glad that nobody can see me. Uh, and I talk to myself and I read my, my dialogue out loud. So it would, it would look really stupid. Uh, but I, I have a dedicated office and that just doesn't mean you need a dedicated office. When I started writing, I was writing on the kitchen table uh, the way a lot of people do, um, you know, watching the kids, cooking dinner, sitting down, writing a, a page. I think that if the story wants to be told, it doesn't matter where you are. Hmm. So you talk to yourself and you read dialogue out loud, which are probably considered to be high, high intelligence, uh, <laughs> high, highly intelligent people talk to themselves, I think. <laughs> All the time. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know, you're okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Have you ever run into anything like writer's block or do you believe in it? All the time. Yeah. All the time. And it's because I do not plot my books out ahead of time. Uh, I, I have a vague idea. Like, like, as I said, I'm writing this book about a female spy who has to go back to action. I have no idea what it is that's going to happen to her. Um, or what, what's calling her back and what problems she's going to have. I just know that she's going to run into trouble and I've already written the first chapter. So um, I'm going to feel my way through this story. And that's the way every book has been. I feel my way through the story, which means about halfway through, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I can't explain everything I've already put down. And that is, for me, writer's block. It's not knowing what happens next. The way I handle it is I just, I just walk away for a week, two weeks, sometimes a month, um, and let it simmer and let the subconscious do its job while you're not even paying attention. I also find that taking long, boring drives is really great. 
you know, somewhere around mile 55, mile 75, there'll be some kind of aha moment. Um, even if you're not thinking about it, you actually are thinking about it in some way. Uh, so drives, travel, lying on the couch, staring at the ceiling, those are all ways to get past the, the plot block that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. And that's absolutely been proven kind of that, um, combinatory play piece for creativity, right? The incubation phase is, is pretty important and, and the brain does a lot of that work in the background while you are yes. distracted. And, right. Yeah. I, I think what the brain is doing is, is going through all the possibilities that won't work first. So you say, I mean, you just, you just put these feelers out in your head and you think, well, that won't work. And another way, well, that won't work. And then all of a sudden you get to the one that will work and that's your solution. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny because so often writers talk about, you know, the fact that it doesn't look like they're writing all the time, but really, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that really important work is happening in the background. And yeah, and that's, that's why it's, it's hard for spouses to understand, um, <laughs> They see you staring off in the space and they think, oh, you're just, you know, can you go take out the trash? And you think, no, I'm working. Well, you don't look like you're working. <laughs> so, so I, I think, I think our writer's spouses have to, have to be, you know, have to have back away and, and let us, let us do our, our, our seemingly nothing work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, are you a Mac or a PC? I have a Mac. We're a Mac family. Um, I, we, I mean, we used to have PCs, but we got so many viruses. Um, and it was, it's just so easy to work on Mac. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. But do you go back to Microsoft Word traditionally or? Yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> I, I'm on a Mac, but I use Word. Um, and I use Word because I, I hate to ch- I hate change. <laughs> and also Word seems to be something that um, publishers like to work with. I, I used to be a Word perfect person, but nobody works with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this theory. Um, yes, of course, my, Microsoft Word is the industry standard in the publishing. Um, business <laughs> and uh yeah but it, it's kind of funny that yes of course you have to use microsoft word on a on a mac and it's kind of uh, counterintuitive there but it works <laughs> and some people like to work with google docs and i hate that living in maine uh that sometimes you sometimes the power goes out and then you're in trouble <laughs> yeah yeah sure the cloud stuff has its its drawbacks um and of course you know there are more modern software now that will export to Microsoft Word format. I think part of the challenge with that is simply the formatting tends to not stick or, you know, it looks different or whatever. But, you know, I guess, I guess when when it all comes down to it, the words are what's most important and then massaging them and and making them look pretty later is, uh, 
not that big a deal, no matter what you're using. Right. That's why I like pen and paper first draft. I can't lose it. <laughs> I, yeah. I just know it's always going to be there on my desk. Yeah. 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 Unless there's a fire. Unless there's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that goes for everything. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you've talked about a little bit about procrastination. It seems like you're somebody who leans into procrastination because that is part of that creative incubation piece. Um, I'm with you on the long drives. But then, uh, yeah, kind of how do you, you know, I know writers can, can be very distractible when they're working on a bigger piece. How do you kind of unplug and, and uh, you know, how do you unplug at the end of a long day of writing? And um, a martini helps. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I like British, I like silly British mo- uh, TV shows. Um, but really, I think that what really makes me unplug after a project is I, I want to I go somewhere new. I want to travel. Um, and I have found that travel is not only um, recreational, it's also incredibly inspiring. I think I probably had four books inspired by a foreign trip I took. So um, it's all it's all grist for the mill, and you're just always trying to add you know add more material to your brain. Absolutely. Well, kind of in your own estimation, how do you define uh, creativity? Um, creating something new out of something old. I guess that's what it is. I mean, I think the process of creativity for me is um, I like to say there's a formula to it. It's one plus two equals five. Um, and it's you, you take one little strand of information from from one source and you take a separate strand of information from another source and they have nothing to do with each other. But you put them together and you have you have a chemical reaction, which makes something new and different. Um, I, I feel that most of my books started with with that kind of a, a formula mm-hmm. taking you know taking some art history and putting it together with uh, a medical thriller and it's new absolutely well I'll do a quick fun one for you who if you could have dinner with any author from any era for an all expense paid dinner at your favorite spot uh who would you take and where would you take them Oh my God. Why did you ask that question? That is so hard. Um, I, yeah, okay. This sounds snooty, but I really would like to know who William Shakespeare really was. <laughs> I would, I would grab him and I would take him for Chinese food, which he would never have had, had before just to see what he says. That's mm. all. Uh, and I want, I want to really, you know, I want to grab from his brain where he gets his ideas from. And did he actually write all his plays? Yeah. Yeah. All great questions that, that we need answered. So I think you would have to document it also. <laughs> well, before we wrap up here, I, of course, will drop a link to this fantastic novel, The Shape of Night, that has gotten some really, really nice reviews. Publishers Weekly said of the book, the supernatural thriller from bestseller Garrettson ranks with the best of her crime fiction. This magnetic haunted house story will keep readers riveted from the first page. But that was nice of them. And uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, congrats on the on the work. I will, of course, point at TessGarretson.com. And you are on Facebook, Tess Garretson. Also on Twitter, Tess Garretson. And um, where else do you want listeners to connect with you out there? That would be it. I don't think there's any place else that you can find me. <laughs> fantastic. Well, um, if you could leave us with one final pearl of wisdom for uh, your fellow scribes on just how to keep going, how to, uh, how to persevere. Just plainly never give up and also make every single chapter feel that somebody is off balance, that something is not right, 
that is what propels readers to read the next chapter. Well, that is some fantastic advice. And we thank you very much for taking time. Uh, enjoy your overseas tour. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.